This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Welcome back to Such Sights to Show, a limited series Hellraiser podcast. We are back by popular demand, so I'm Joe Lipsit. Hello, Brian Christopher. I did not know there was going to be popular demand for this. Like, I thought this was just going to be us doing it because we wanted to do it. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. pretty excited that people have been enjoying this. So, yeah, definitely glad to be doing more. Yeah, I feel the exact same way. I definitely thought, you know, there will be excitement for the Hellbound Heart. There will be some excitement for the Scarlet Gospels. I didn't think anyone would care about the comics. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as we finished the third episode, I mean, it's not like we heard from hundreds of people or anything, but we definitely got a bunch of people saying, hey, are you going to cover the Toll? Are you going to cover the Sherlock Holmes one? And I thought to myself, you know what? If Brian is down for this, then I am down for it as well. And so here we are talking about 2018's The Toll, written by Mark Allen Miller. And oh, Brian, (laughs) I feel like we both have things to say. (laughs) Yeah, like it's kind of one of those double-edged swords where like I'm really glad that people wanted to hear more and had suggestions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kind of wishing this wasn't one of them. (laughs) This is interesting. So folks, if you don't know about the toll, this is what I've been calling a sidequel to the Scarlet Gospels. It takes place in and around the same time as the events of that book. So if you haven't read it or you haven't listened to our episode, please go back and check it out. But uh, yeah, this brings back Kersey Cotton. It's, yeah, running sort of parallel to the Scarlet Gospels. It's a weird structure, though, because it's not only a novella, so to a certain extent, it's pretty expedient, but also... It seems to be acting as a sequel to Hellraiser, the film, and not the book. Yeah. But then also, yeah, it's in conversation with the Scarlet Gospels, which (laughs) is the sequel to the Hellbound Heart, the book. (laughs) Which then makes you wonder, because I guess, I don't know if we looked at it through that lens, was the Scarlet Gospels a follow-up to the Hellbound Heart, or were they really going more by the way Hell Priest, Mm -hmm. Pinhead... Uh, the cold man that we'll refer oh, to him later as um, <laughs> what was at that point was Barker kind of taking that version that had sprung up from the movies and not really because mm-hmm. he was more fully in line with the movie version, I think, of Pinhead because we talked about when we did the Hellbound Heart, um, the character that would become, quote unquote, Pinhead in the uh, the original novella wasn't really developed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were coded as more gender fluid, gender neutral. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the Scarlet Gospels, I do feel like we are getting the movie version of Pinhead or not even just the movie version, but like what the pop culture version of Pinhead had turned into, which was kind of the conversation that Barker was having in that book. So I guess this does line up with the fact that it's kind of going in that same direction where it's a mishmash of the novella, the Hellbound uh, Heart version of Kirsty Cotton, I guess also mm-hmm. known as Kirsty Singer, because right. like she's gone through some weird iterations, or maybe that was her original last name in the uh, the Hellbound Heart. It, it's hard to keep track of like where right. some of these characters have 
so many permutations. Yeah, yeah. But I think at this point, like when we're talking Hellraiser the Toll, I think we're just talking similarly to the Scarlet Gospels, a story that is kind of amalgam of the original novella and just kind of where all of the movies have gone. Yeah, you know what? I think that's the best way to approach this because I was definitely thrown off when in the toll, Kirsty refers to Larry as her father. Mm-hmm. Like, I honestly had to pause my reading to be like, wait, how are we contextualizing this? So <laughs> I think if we approach this as an amalgam of all of the pop cultural iterations of Kirsty, Pinhead, Hellraiser in general, mm-hmm. that's probably going to be the least offensive way to look at this because <laughs> otherwise you're just going to get really bogged down in little details that don't seem to add up to what we've seen before. Yeah, hell, just the fact that she's referring to him as Larry and not Rory means that mm-hmm. it's a departure from the the novella. Right. Yes. I think both the Scarlet Gospels and the Hellba- or and the Toll are kind of playing fast and loose with like what this universe represents. Mm-hmm. Which we love. We we love when they do that. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, every iteration of Hellraiser seems to have its own separate take on this. But one of the interesting things about this book is that it was written by Mark Allen Miller, and he is Clive Barker's longtime editor. So this is a man who knew Clive Barker's prose, uh, the way that he worked, the types of writing he was doing. And then it's also based on a story concept of Clive Barker. So we have to assume that to a certain extent, Barker was okay with the direction that Alan Miller was going to take the story and or signed off on it conditionally. And that is bizarre to me, mm-hmm. Brian, because so much of this feels undercooked. And I, I hate to be that guy, but it feels like not great fan fiction. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, and by that guy, like I don't want to undermine, like again, we, we've said that Mark Allen Miller was editor, collaborator with Clive Barker. Clive Barker mm-hmm. started the whole story in the first place. Like reading it, I'm just like, this just doesn't feel like a Clive Barker story. And it seems like it's, it's jamming together puzzle pieces to tell a story, but it doesn't have that. Yeah. Um, it doesn't. (laughs) Um, I'm sorry. um, Now I've derailed you. (laughs) (laughs) It's so easy to do that, Joe. No, it's fine. Um, it just, it doesn't have that like sense of flow. It's just a Mm. sequence of things that are happening and it doesn't feel like it's written by someone who has that flair for prose and for language and for doing something that like evokes an image. You're just kind of like reading uh, for me, the the version I have is like 95 pages Yep, Mm -hmm. with like large set type. It was just like, this could Uh have been probably about, you know. 60 yeah yeah tops um and it just didn't it didn't have any flavor yeah and okay so before we go too much further with the critique why don't we quickly go through what the toll is about in case people haven't checked this out because i've gathered that some people know that this exists and then other people are probably going to be approaching this brand new Mm mm-hmm So the toll, as we said, runs parallel or concurrently to the Scarlet Gospels. It takes place some 30 years after the events of Hellraiser or the Hellbound Heart, whichever (laughs) one you want to read to. And it follows Kirsty as uh, she is basically still living under the shadow of what happened at the Ludovico house. She has changed her name a million times. She has moved all around the globe, and she's basically trying to figure out whether she can more or less have a kind of normal life. 
And then she ends up getting a letter from a Dr. Joseph Lansing, and he warns her that there's more ways for Cenobites and Hell Priests and the Cold Man, as Kirsty has come mm. to call Pinhead, than just solving the puzzle box. So he directs her to the Devil's Island, which is off the coast of French Guiana, and she basically goes there after she has an encounter with a unusual man slash creature called the runner when she goes back to look at the old house. So she hops on a plane and then she goes on a boat to get to this island. It's very tiny. There she stays at a hotel that is run by Madame Genevieve Rambel. And this woman basically is like, this island is cursed. It's haunted, but my husband is buried here and I will never leave his body. This woman also has an assistant named Walter, and Walter almost immediately tries to kill Kirsty with an <laughs> antique gun that misfires, so Kirsty ends up killing him with, with a, a hammer. hammer. A la Julia Cotton. Yes, which she actually references, which yeah. I appreciated. And then Kirsty realizes that the madame was always planning on killing her, so she ends up tracking her into the jungle. There's uh, an old kind of jail. It was a penal colony, I've gathered. And so she finds the woman basically already murdered. All that's left of her is a skin husk. And then she meets the cold man who has opened a doorway to the wastelands or the wastes. And he's basically there to, much like we talked about in the Scarlet Gospels, he wants her to be his witness for the end of hell. And... They get into a fist fight. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of times where Kirstie's just getting smacked around in this novella. It was weird when it's her having a memory of like a theology class back when she's like six or seven years old and this sister hits her in the face because yeah. she dares to question her. But it's really weird to read, oh, the cold man, aka Pinhead, is just smacking and punching Kirstie because I'm like, no, we don't do that yeah yeah and it's it's one of those things where it's like we don't do that but i guess it does line up with the direction that barker took him for the scarlet gospels because true he definitely does a bunch of shit that i would say that like pinhead doesn't really do yeah uh i don't want to go down that path again in terms mm -hmm. of describing those things because it was unpleasant so we'll just say if you want to go back and listen to our episode on the scarlet gospels we go down the deep rabbit hole on yeah, yeah, it's nothing as bad as that book, but it does feel like it's in that same flavor where Pinhead has changed. He's yeah. become a much more aggressive individual. But after this sort of brief skirmish, Kirsty, it, it seems like he's actually trying to draw a larger response out of her because she's kind of meek and timid and he wants her to be the powerful woman that he encountered in either the Hellbound Heart or Hellraiser. And it's only when she begins to attack him with the hammer that she still has that he finally is like, okay, now you basically earned your spot as my witness to the end of the world. And she just walks away from him. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the end of the novella. <laughs> and and if you want to know why I have issues with this novella, other than the, the point plots you uh, just heard... Joe has given you just as much flavor and immersed mm -hmm. you just as much in the events of this novella <laughs> as the novella itself. Um, <sighs> like, 
he, he was clearly trying Mark, uh, Mark Allen Miller was like, he was trying mm-hmm. to give it flavor. I think he was trying to give it his own flavor. It just wasn't coming through. And, you know, Joe, you've talked about how one of the things that frustrate you about this, as with a lot of the, the Hellraiser properties is the fact that there are definitely some interesting ideas coming up. Yes. It's just not executed super no. well um, and and lots of lots of missed opportunities um and actually i think that the number one as we're talking about this the biggest missed opportunity for me is mm-hmm. the fact that so again we're looking at this through the lens of this is kind of a hodgepodge of like meanings or, or like what we're pulling from in terms of previous encounters because right. for me like this isn't pulling from hellbound heart because hellbound heart um, it's, you know, really just the story about her, Frank and Julia, the yes. Cenobites just let her go when she mm-hmm. completes her end of the bargain. If we're looking at it from the movies, it's almost like they're taking the Halloween 2018 approach where they're just looking at the first one and forgetting the second, because 100%. yeah. If we're talking about how badly like this encounter with the cold man scarred her, then we're kind of forgetting the evolution of their relationship again. in, yeah, in part two. <laughs> yeah. But even even if we're looking at part one, if we're looking at this through the lens of the first Hellraiser, we've talked about this till we're blue in the face that like even in the movie, the Cenobites are still background characters. And this is a story about her, Julia, and Frank. Mm-hmm. And once again, we have a missed opportunity where this could have been a face-off between her and Julia. Like right. she could have come in as some kind of like lieutenant for whatever the hell priest was doing. I don't know what it is about people not ever wanting to visit the character of Do Julia Cotton it. 30 plus years later. Um, you know, I get the idea that Claire Higgins didn't want to play her again in movies, but we have sure. had so much different media in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Comics haven't revisited it. Books nope. haven't revisited it. Like nope. why, why are we so scared of, of revisiting Julia Cotton? I don't get it. Yeah. Uh, You know what? I hadn't even thought about that as a possibility. And now I'm exceedingly aggravated because you're right. If we're bringing back Kirstie, what prevents us from bringing back Julia? It Mm -hmm. doesn't like there's nothing about this that requires Claire Higgins permission. It honestly does seem like people just constantly overlook Julia as an interesting figure. Like how how fascinating would it have been to have had Madame Rambeau be like a a Julia proxy or even, Mm -hmm. you know, she's Julia in disguise or something. I'm not saying it's a deal breaker. It's just, you're right. It's a missed opportunity. One of the many. (laughs) Yeah. I think you're much more offended slash angry at this than I am. I didn't mind reading it. I just kind of kept groaning as I was making my way through it because certain things either just didn't feel right Alan Miller's obviously trying to capture the tone and the prose of Barker. And I'm sorry, but that is just a fool's errand because nobody's doing it better than Clyde Barker. Nobody can match Clyde Barker. So there are turns of phrases here that have that kind of poetic license to them. But overall, they come off as just that. Like you said, it's a little too fan fiction-y. So particularly when you get to The Cold Man those words just don't have the same melody to them. They don't sing. They don't have the same evocative power. And yes, this is me putting Barker up on a fucking plateau, but there (laughs) is no one better than Barker. So to try to do this is just like, all I'm doing is reading this and thinking, 
this isn't Barker. I'm sorry. Yeah. And I guess to a certain extent, and like, I don't know if this is going to make us sound better or worse in talking about the Scarlet Gospels. I think we've kind of, we've gone down the path of realizing that like Barker's not even as good as Barker in mm. some cases. Um, so it, it, like at this point, I just think it's more or less, it's a spent idea and it's something that mm. it doesn't feel like anybody has the enthusiasm about anymore. And Ooh. so mm. that seems to be coming through. Like this is just, they're doing this just to do it. Um, you know, maybe Mark Allen Miller had some enthusiasm about it and was, was into it. But, uh, if it's coming from, an initial story by Clive Barker, it's probably coming from something where it's like, well, I might as well do this. And then Mark Allen Miller like built on it as best as he could. But yeah, it just, it doesn't have that, that spark. That is so funny. Cause I, I can't entirely disagree with you, but hearing you say it sounds so cynical. <laughs> I don't mind this. Like what I'm more frustrated with is not even the kind of half-hearted attempts to evoke Barker in the writing. It's the fact that this is a novella that needed to it either needed to be a short story or it needed to be a book because mm -hmm. the novella length for me is the biggest issue. There's some really fascinating ideas here, like the well of waste where Kirsty gets this glimpse into hell and it's just people almost on a kind of religious trek, like the way that people go to Jerusalem to touch the wall and that kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. It's really a fascinating concept. And like, there is that little spark of, oh, okay, this does sound like the depiction of hell that we've talked about in other texts. I'm thinking a little bit more of the comics than the Hellbound Heart or the mm -hmm. Scarlet Gospels. There's some interesting ideas. This idea of even Kirsty living a life on the run, it's very evocative of the comics. And yet, it just feels like we don't have enough time to do anything with that. But it's weird because there's no real plot either. So it's not like there's a driving urgency to get Kirsty to this island to, you know, have these chance encounters with these characters who are barely stock, like Madame Walter not people there's mm -hmm. just not enough time dedicated to anything to really make this sing so it just feels like a ho-hum kind of we do point a we do point b and then we're just done yeah and i wonder if that's part of the reason why you feel like there isn't that sort of joie de vivre here because there's nothing to hang your hat on like if there was more to it at least we could say well they tried something and it was interesting but it didn't quite work whereas here it's like well, it started to go down a couple of different paths and then it just ends. Yeah. And to use yet another dopey cliche that will fit into this, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. <laughs> this story is either way too long or way too mm -hmm. short. Yes. You know, if they were going to do this as a true short story, I think this could have been something where they pick up with her arriving on the island and maybe giving some like a little bit of like flashback backstory to talk about how she got there. And mm -hmm. then this is basically the sequence with her and, you know, the, uh, the the people on the island and then with the cold man or like mm. really dive into this thing and make it like, you know the big epic story that you and I have been craving since they started saying that they were going to do things like the Scarlet Gospels. and Right. How, how great would it have been if they actually, the Scarlet Gospels incorporated this story and there were almost like mm -hmm. dual, like parallel narratives going on? 
Yeah, I was thinking about that too, because the framing of this as a concurrent story to the Scarlet Gospels was what initially piqued my interest when I heard that this existed. And it does feel a little underwhelming that either the Scarlet Gospels didn't incorporate this in, and maybe this was just one, you know, we talked about how that book was originally much longer, and then it got hacked down over the years as Clyde Barker sort of struggled to put it together in the wake of his health crisis. So I can't help but wonder if maybe that's where this actually comes from. Like, maybe the storyline was incorporated into that original novel, and when it got excised, Barker was still interested in the idea, but he didn't have the enthusiasm to write it himself, and so enter his longtime collaborator and editor. But even still, I guess I just don't understand why this is a novella of all yeah. things, because it doesn't feel like a complete story. Even when you get to the end of it and you think, okay, so we've had this dramatic showdown between Kirsty and the cold man, and then she walks away. And yeah, it's a little bit evocative of the hellbound heart where she just leaves and the house is destroyed and she never kind of looks back. Sure. Yeah. But like... It doesn't feel like enough of a payoff when we've already done that before, but that time, that novella does tell a complete story, whereas here, it feels like we're just starting to get into things, and then we're done. Yeah, and then we get that weird like three or four page epilogue where that's like the sequel part of it, where they talk mm -hmm. about it, – it talks a little bit about the events after – the Scarlet Gospels, and you see that she's kind of like picked up on what's been going on with mm -hmm. Harry Damore and, and, you know, hell collapsing on itself. Sure. And once again, they do address something that that dangling plot thread from the Scarlet Gospels, where in that initial sequence with, with Pinhead, he basically creates this new demon. Mm -hmm. And you kind of find out, at least this, this was my takeaway from it, that, you know, Kirsty is on the hunt for this this other demon oh. um, and for me that was kind of, one of like I, I think that's what they were pointing at yeah it is such a throwaway line in the yeah. novella right where yeah. pinhead says you know i basically spread my seed and kirsty is repulsed like oh who would have let basically who would have let pinhead fuck them <laughs> and you're like well <laughs> read the scarlet gospels yeah. it wasn't willing yeah. but again it's like okay you're obviously so familiar with the text that you're picking up on this little thing that, yeah, went unaddressed in the Scarlet Gospels. It is that dangling plot thread. And yet here, it still he, he feels left it like dangling. a dangling plot yeah. thread. <laughs> like, you're not going to do anything more with it, but you're clearly interested enough to reference it. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Yeah. It's why point, why point to the issue and then not address the issue mm -hmm. or do it in such a way that feels so undercooked that it, you know. Yeah. I guess they're trying to feel that thing of like the struggle goes on, but it's also just like, I don't know, I, mm -hmm. I guess <laughs> just didn't, it didn't, again, that spark is missing. Yeah, it, it feels kind of like a slow, like a slowly leaking balloon, right? Where, mm -hmm. okay, I guess this is happening. Yeah, the struggle maybe goes on, maybe the hunt continues for Kirsty, but that doesn't, it's not even that it doesn't feel satisfying, it's that it feels like you put in minimal effort for what? Like, yeah. unless you are planning on revisiting this story, you know, if this was the first of multiple novellas that was going to be, you know, doing that anthology format that we so appreciated in the comics, maybe I could get behind that because I would know that we might get more glimmers of this in successive works. 
But that's not the plan. We don't have any follow-ups to this novella. Yeah. This came out in 2018. There have been nothing. There's been nope. nothing, no news about anything forthcoming. This is mm -hmm. it. You know? Yeah. I think just the fact that it's a novella, I think, was maybe an attempt to kind of have it be a bookend to mm -hmm. the Hellbound Heart. Um, right. But again, it's an interesting idea. But if you're going to – the way they did it is just very unsatisfying. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the the other thing that perplexes me – and I, I'm sorry, folks, if it seems like we're just, you know, hand-wringing and repeatedly making the same arguments. It's tough because we don't know exactly what the impetus of – Mark Allen Miller creating this was like, did he have designs to continue this? Was this always intended to be a one off affair? Like, I tried to look and there isn't a lot of information about this. This kind of came and went. The people who read it don't seem to be incredibly satisfied. It doesn't have overly good reviews. So there's just a lack of information. And you and I are trying to glean insights, like pulling from little details. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to know what the intention was, but I look, I really want to know why is this a novella and not a novel proper? What was the design on capping this at a very slim 96 pages? Even the Hellbound Heart is longer than that. Yeah, yeah. If you look at the Wikipedia page, we, we do get the, the seed of it. It was um, a short story that Clive Barker had written called Heaven's Reply, uh, that that was going to be actually integrated into a screenplay for a Hellraiser reboot in one of its right. many failed iterations um, yeah. before we before we got what we actually got from from David Bruckner. Mm -hmm. it, it was going to dive into the creator of the uh, the Link configuration, uh, Le Marchand, right. um, and was going to incorporate Devil's Island. And since it didn't move forward, I guess they had this, you know, seed of a story um, that Barker passed on to Mark Allen Miller to turn into what became the toll. Mm -hmm. But I don't have much beyond the fact that like they reverse engineered it to become the novella. Um, right. They, I don't have much beyond that in terms of like what was Miller thinking in terms of like, did he maybe consider this would go somewhere else if it got enough mm -hmm. traction? Like, was he hoping that, like, by leaving these teases, maybe something else would come out of it? Uh, and then, you know, it just wasn't well enough received to warrant any follow-up. Right. Yeah. It just I, – I get why it, where it started. Why it landed on the novella that it did is seems a little murkier. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Now I really wish I could get my hands on Clive Barker's – revised script for what he proposed before it was given the kibosh and then we went ahead with david bruckner's version all these years later because mm -hmm. i would love to know if that screenplay explores this in greater detail and this is just what mark allen miller pulls out of that mm, yeah hmm yeah who knows if any listeners happen to to know how to get their hands on that screenplay. Do let us know, because I would be interested. Also, I do feel like I need to address just – we need to address very quickly the elephant in the room that we did mention, because all of this started because David Bruckner's Hellraiser reboot was on the horizon. Mm -hmm. uh, when you're listening to this, it has since passed. Yes. Um, 
we actually are making a deliberate decision not to get into our thoughts on the reboot because uh, we have both gone very in-depth into it um, on our respective podcasts. So uh, if you want to check out Corpse Club for a discussion that uh, Derek Anderson and I had, um, we really kind of got into the ins and outs of, of how we felt about the movie, what worked, what didn't. Uh, mm-hmm. Joe, I believe you and Trace did the same on Horror Queers, correct? We did, yes, on our Patreon. So unfortunately, if you want to hear my thoughts, you will have to breach the paywall to hear it. Worth it. Do it. um, Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of content on there. It's good stuff. (laughs) But yeah, we made a deliberate decision, you and I, to keep this mostly focused on the literary works, right? Like that's the intention of this limited series. So Mm -hmm. and honestly, I don't know that i feel like the new film is in as much conversation with the literary origins of the series it really does feel like it's trying to uh, go off on its own and break some new ground yeah it's clearing its own path uh for better or worse and so yeah yeah, i think it makes sense for us within that context i don't think we need to get too in depth into uh into the reboot um Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> that said, I, uh, for for the issues I have with the reboot, I think I liked it more than I liked the toll. So there is that. <laughs> well, this isn't the highest of no. Hurdles. Yeah, yeah, no. I'm curious though. We've been mostly negative on this novella. Was there anything that you took away that you either saw as a positive or that you would have just loved to have seen more of? <sighs> I I like the idea of them hinting at the the larger world of hell that mm-hmm. the Scarlet Gospels has built. So when the, the scene with the runner where right. Kirsty is at the – she's on the street where the, the, the house used to sit from the mm-hmm. original Hellraiser. Um, and she kind of talks about how it's basically been like erased. Um, it's been like torn down. The, 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 even the property has been just kind of scrubbed. Um, right. And she's walking along that street and you have this sequence where there's this – man that she very quickly realizes isn't actually a man is probably mm-hmm. some kind of demon yeah. um is if i remember correctly he's like almost in some kind of a panic because you almost get the sense that like he was supposed to be watching for her and he missed her initially or something like that um and so it's it's getting into kind of like the the various hierarchy and the, the various factions of of hell that you you see more in the scarlet gospels uh, mm-hmm. i think that would have been interesting to see that more of that kind of worked into the story yeah and it's an interesting figure right she eventually names him the runner because he's sort of running back and forth up and down the street around her or near her like initially you seem to think he's going to attack her but then he never does you're right it feels more like he's a watchdog but there's also a description of him that there's like lightning leaking out of his face and Mm. sparking light across it and well, I know that we have kind of dressed down Alan Miller's prose as being not up to par with Barker's. There are some choice descriptions and really interesting visuals that are evoked here. And I thought that this was one of the better ones where I could pretty vividly picture what this character would look like. And it was scary and interesting and and very memorable. Yeah. And and when you bring it up that way, that might have been a good opportunity to explore instead of having this center on that relationship between Kirsty and Pinhead, you know, you could have had her really exploring more of those other factions of hell. Um, mm-hmm. Because, yeah, it does seem like when he's not trying to address the Pinhead in the room, 
uh, Miller actually works a lot better with like the description of the island and yeah. things things that aren't centered on kind of the Cenobite aesthetic or the way the Cenobites operate. Uh, he he actually has some some good prose when it's talking about stuff that isn't related to what winds up being the more central story in this novella. Yeah, because you're not making that direct one to one comparison, yeah. right? Like, yeah. oh well, you know, Clyde Barker did this better. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah. I fully agree with that because I thought some of the stuff on the island was really well done. I particularly liked, because of course, folks know I'm a huge Bloodline fan. So anything to do with the origins of the box and how people have kind of interacted with it and that historical legacy. Like, so we haven't really talked about it, but Madame Rambert, her husband Claude is buried on the island. It's the reason she stays. But he was a painter and he would do paintings that if you looked at them and realized what you were looking at, you would see that he was painting the box. So he mm-hmm. painted houses that had six columns and they were like gold that were very reminiscent of the six sides of the, the Marchand configuration and so on. And I thought that that was really interesting. And not just because it reminds me of bloodline and that middle story set in the present where we've got the the guy who's the architect and he's kind of inadvertently drawing reference to le marchand in the building he's making Mm -hmm. but i like this idea of people almost interfacing or channeling this gateway to hell in their work and maybe inadvertently opening things up into the waste so that the order of the gash can come through without having to physically manipulate the box like we've seen in all of the films. Yeah, that and that again, it's an, a really interesting idea because I, just like you, uh, as a fellow bloodline defender, <laughs> we could call ourselves apologists. Yeah, it's apologists. Fine. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Um, when they were talking about the painting, I was having that was the imagery that was popping up in my head. The, yeah. you know, the building at the end of part three that you see that they hint at, mm-hmm. and then they explore a little bit more in the uh, the the middle vignette of uh, of Bloodline. Yeah. Um, and it is a good way to tie back to the Scarlet Gospels because we're finding out about these ways where it doesn't necessarily have to be someone opening the box. There are different ways to open these portals. Mm-hmm. And so I, I like them playing with that idea. Just the general idea of like, you never know where it's hiding. You know, right. it's it's something that can find you now instead of you finding it. Yeah, yeah. Because that in a way almost feels more nefarious, right? Like people who don't even realize what they're doing you know, I think one of my other slight disappointments is learning that the person who sent the letter and who Kirsty eventually calls, Dr. Joseph Lansing, you realize late in the novella that he's some kind of plant, right? Like he had designs to get Kirsty to this island to initiate Pinhead's design. But we don't really unpack, you know, how or why he came about doing that. So there's something interesting about someone like Claude who is maybe doing this accidentally and then unleashes hell upon himself on his wife on this island compared to someone like Lansing, who is maybe working with hell, like is a disciple of some kind, but again, no additional details. So we can't really take that any further. I honestly didn't, I couldn't get a read on what Lansing's deal was. I wasn't sure if he was acting in good faith and like, he was kind of putting Kirsty in the place where she needed to be in order mm. to 
to kind of play out that sequence and he right. was a, an actual ally or was he working with Pinhead all along and trying to put her there because he thought it would accomplish Pinhead's goals. That was not something yeah. I was super clear on and I don't know if, if that's intentional where they're trying to keep that vague or they just didn't describe it well enough to to have it be understood. <laughs> yeah, who knows, right? It's like it, it could be one or the other. Mm-hmm. Ugh, okay. <laughs> um yeah, I, I don't want to keep just punching down on this text. So yeah, no. tell you what, why don't we uh, do our outros and then we'll tell folks where we're headed next. Sounds good to me. So, Brian, if folks want to get a hold of you, maybe because they've got Barker's screenplay or they just want to try to defend the tool to you, how would they get a hold of you? And absolutely do. Like, I, I hope I didn't come across as too much of a douche on this one, but I don't know what it is about um, Kirsty Cotton stories, but when they're messed up, they Ooh, really aggravate they me. They rub you the wrong yeah. way. <laughs> um, uh, see any discussion I've ever had about Hellseeker and you'll see why it's a sore spot for me for some reason. Yeah. If you want to hear Brian get angry, <laughs> seek out anything to do with Hellseeker. Um, but that said, uh, if you have any rebuttals, I'm welcome to hear them. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter at Evil Taylor Hicks. That's usually the, the best way to get hold of me. Nice. Yeah. And I will make the same offer. So I would love to hear any any defenses of this. And oh, wow. Even as I say that, I'm like, ooh, you sound... <laughs> <laughs> very inflammatory like come at me bro come at me i promise everybody we won't be shitty about it like we've gotten all the shitty out of our system about it we will have a civil discussion about it um if there are things that we are missing in this please tell us because <laughs> we, yeah. we want to hear it or if there were other things where you thought oh there is some value to this or i would have liked to have seen a bit more of that because i'm i'm very intrigued on the parts that people latch onto and the pieces that people feel they would have liked to have gotten a little bit more of yeah I do feel bad about the fact for as good of a pairing as the two of us are to talk about these, there is that idea of like we are both very much hellbound heart slash hellraiser purists. Mm-hmm. So when they start diverging off of that, we get kind of old person cranky. We do. We yell at the cloud. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's definitely something where if there are, I know there's a lot of people who aren't going to hold a lot of these things as precious as we do. Mm. Um, and I mean that in a good way. <laughs> um, <laughs> they can let go. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so if, if you have that ability to let go in the ways that Joe and I clearly don't, that's kind of why that, that those are exactly the people you want to hear from. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, for sure. So if people want to get a hold of me, I can be reached at B Stole My Remote, and that's the letter B. We'll take this opportunity to thank the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network for hosting the show as always. Thank you. But uh, Brian, as teased, we have an additional request from listeners. So Mm -hmm. we may be done with, I guess, the more purist takes on the Hellraiser books, but Folks really want us to check out a different take on this. So, um, you know, we mentioned Bloodline. We talk about history. So folks want us to travel back and check out Sherlock Holmes and the Servants of Hell by Paul Kane. So this is an intersection between the Order of the Gash and Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> I I do feel like as people who enjoy the the bonkers craziness that is bloodline. Mm-hmm. I'm cautiously optimistic about this. I think we're going to appreciate it for what it is right. um, because I think we're very much like we at least know we're going into this not expecting this to be like a purist safe haven or anything along those lines. So I think our yeah. expectations will probably be better for for something like this. 
well, it gets to be its own standalone story and benefit after this discussion. This is a book. This is 300 pages. So I'm <laughs> hoping for like a beginning, a middle and an end. <laughs> yeah. I'm also wondering how the hell this could wind up being like, I, I don't think there's any Sherlock Holmes stories that were 300 pages. So this should right. be interesting. I'm fascinated and trepidatious all at once. So uh, thank you to the listeners for encouraging us to take this journey. Yeah, Brian, you and I will be back. I'm thinking this will probably drop before the holidays. So Mm. your Christmas treat, folks, is the Cenobites versus Sherlock Holmes. (laughs) Can't wait. All right. Well, until then, uh, I guess don't travel to a French island in search of a mysterious woman? Something. Something. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Question mark? Yeah, that... That's the subtitle for this episode, is just question mark. <laughs> the Anatomy of a Scream, Pod Squad.